It's the Favorites Podcast presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel. I love betting with FanDuel because their app is safe, secure, and easy to use. And when I win, I get paid fast. Plus, FanDuel lets me jump in on the action anytime with live betting during games. So download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. Must be 21 or older and in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, and Ohio. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 in New York. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia. Welcome to The Favorites, the podcast from the Volume Podcast Network. I am Chad Millman, Chief Content Officer of the Action Network. Massive, massive show today. One of my favorite shows of the entire year. Maybe the most important betting event until we get back to NFL season. I'm going to introduce our guest in a minute. But first, let me bring on my co-host, my BFF, my companion, my compadre, Mr. Simon Hunter, professional better. Hello, Simon. Aloha, Chad. How you doing, brother? Dude, I'm doing better than you. <laughs> it's true. I've listened to way too much Nine Inch Nails the last couple of days. So what have I become, my sweetest friend? Oh, man. So listen, <laughs> we have a huge show today. Uh, and we're bringing in Michael Lasker, a friend of the pod, because of our former Action Network colleague and still close friend to me, Matt Mitchell. Izzy Gomez, Lasker, yep. talent manager extraordinaire in Hollywood. He is a Hollywood insider. He is one of the most powerful people in Hollywood. If you are watching television, if you are going to movies, if you like to laugh, if you think someone is funny, chances are Lasker represents them, knows them, probably gave them their best ideas. Here's the most important thing right now. Every year Lasker comes on because nobody is better at talking about the Oscars and giving us insight into the Oscars. The guy is an encyclopedia Oscar savant. Michael Lasker is on the show. Brother, I'm so glad you're back. <laughs> First of, first of all, I think this is my fourth time, and I'm honored to be back. So I'm almost at that five-time, you know, SNL. Yeah, we're going to get you a coat. We're going to get you. We're going to get you a hoodie like Simon has. Every everything you said was very, very sweet. Uh, very little of it is true. <laughs> you're you're ascribing way too much uh, power and uh, and so forth to me. But I but it's wonderful to be back. As you guys know, um, this is my favorite time of the year. The Oscars are my Christmas, Hanukkah wrapped up all into one. I unabashedly love the Academy Awards. I make no, uh, I don't have to justify that. I think the Academy Awards are fun. I've loved it my whole life. And uh, it's a pleasure to be back and talk about what I think is not only turned out to be a great movie year, 
but it's been a great Oscar race here. And while it feels like there's favorites, no pun intended, I still think there could be some surprises on Sunday. I'm also going to say many, many times (laughs) that my colleague, another manager at Mosaic where I work, represents Daniels. His name is Josh Rudnick, and he's represented them their whole career and an incredible success story. So I don't want people to think I'm playing favorites. I love that movie. I will mention it many times, but I understand there's bias, uh, but that's okay. We all have our own biases. So just for the record. Well, you're talking about the guys who directed uh, everything, everything everywhere, everywhere all, all at once, once which yeah. we're totally going to get to. I agree. Yeah. Look, I've become so in love with this episode of the podcast that I made more effort to watch a lot of the movies this year and I have more opinions than I ever have. Also, I think what's interesting is even like, it's interesting that the Oscars has become the kind of thing where, you know, and we've talked about this, the big movies aren't the ones that end up getting all the nominations. I think everything everywhere all at once is a little bit of an outlier, still a small independent movie from a, you know, quote unquote, independent production company. But Top Gun is like the the biggest biggest hit of the year, and it's got some nominations, but that's a rarity now. Well, what's interesting about this year, you know, uh, Tom Sherrick, who is no longer alive, rest in peace, he was the president of the Academy who, after the 2008 year, when The Dark Knight did not get nominated, that was the last year there were five nominees for Best Picture. He was the person who pushed through, let's go back to 10 nominees. There were 10 Best Picture nominees in the 30s and 40s. Let's do that. And- I think there's been years where a lot of movies were nominated, not to ever name names, that did not deserve to be nominated for Best Picture. This year, if you think about it, is epitomizing what Tom Sherrick and those those governors at the time had in mind. Because you're right. I mean, this is a cornucopia of, you know, the, the array of films. Top Gun, biggest movie of the year. Actually, excuse me, Avatar, biggest movie of the year. Top Gun, second biggest movie of the year. Elvis made a ton of money. Everything Everywhere broke $100 million worldwide. Um, you've got foreign films, you've got Triangle of Sadness, you've got All Quiet on the Western Front, you've got streamers. So if you look at the 10 nominees this year, it's really a phenomenal range of movies. And the thing that, this is a a side tangent, we don't have to cover it today, but I think in the post-pandemic world, you know, a lot of these movies have gone to streaming faster. Like Tar and Banshees of Inishirin in the older era would have quietly all made 60, 70, 80 million bucks. They would have played for four straight months adults would have gone and seen them but they all hit streaming so fast you know i mean before i looked up banshees was on hbo max and it's like okay i guess i'll just watch it on hbo max tonight um yes. so but i think this you look at those 10 movies and i think this is what the academy had in mind you know because there is a great variety and there's still a lot of you know it's anybody's anybody's race still i agree with you on the streaming huge point like that's how i ended up seeing banshees it's how i ended up starting elvis and stopping fablemans and stopping but we'll get to that before we do that before we do that i have been talking about the game time ticket app for the past couple of weeks it is the fastest growing ticketing app in the u.s i love it i've talked about how much i love it i genuinely use it all the time and if you're looking to get out to any nba or nhl games this week or even a concert. Game Time has amazing last-minute deals on tickets to all of these. I'm actually going to open the Game Time app right now from my house. If I wanted to hit New York City this week, you know what I would do right now? I'd go to the Big East Men's Basketball Tournament happening at MSG tomorrow. I can get tickets for 13 bucks. That's how easy it was. No matter where you live, 
Download the Game Time app. Get out and have some fun this week. You deserve it. And you can redeem code. You can redeem code favorites for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, just download the app. Enter code favorites for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Lasker, thanks for you yeah. know. Yeah, no, Chad, for- can I make can I make a request? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, just seeing you read that ad. When I come over the fifth time, I want to read some ads next time, okay? <laughs> so just get me like in the system. Listen, I was going to apologize for having to subject, subject you to such crass commercialization. And I know- <laughs> I understand how the podcast business You're works. an artist. <laughs> you're an artist. Like, you know, you work in the arts, okay? Um, I have so many movies that I love, so many movies that I think were- Yeah, what, was, what excited you this year? I think I think Banshee is a Vinisherin. Yeah, you've been on the Banshees train over Huge Banshees fan. The movie we're going to talk about that I think got, I would like to get Simon's take on this. I saw The Menu. Oh, yeah, I you love you The about Menu. This. It might be my favorite movie of the year. Other than Top Gun, my favorite movie of the year. I thought it was tight, brilliant, great commentary, um, much better than Triangle of Sadness. I think we should, like, I all feel all of a sudden I feel like we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Simon, I do want to bring you in for a second. Do you have a movie this year that you loved that you were looking forward to seeing how it performs in the Oscars? I would say for visually stunning and the movie that made me feel the most, I would say All Quiet on the Western Front. That movie was one of those where I kind of knew what it was going in, but it's one of those I didn't watch any previews. I hadn't heard much about it at the time. And again, it's another streaming movie, right? That's one of those where it was just on. So I checked it out. And man, that's that's one of those where I feel like not just because of what's going on in Ukraine and hit home more, but it's more of like these, these young men are filled with so much happiness and joy. And then you just see how that quickly subsides and it changes everything. Right. So that was one of those where I thought that would probably win, but this is what I want to ask him about the, the fact that you have guys like Steven Spielberg going up to Tom Cruise and telling him he saved movies. Is that going to be factored into what's happening this year where this is, Again, I, I mean, just 10 years ago, we wouldn't have seen, I feel like, Maverick in this kind of position where this is one of these movies where you can say whatever you want about it. You know, if you didn't like it, whatever it is, I feel like most people liked the movie. It was very nostalgic. It was well done. But the fact that it really did spark people going back to the movie theater feels like a real thing. So I'm interested in your take on that, if that's going to factor into them. Winning oh, the I, I think award. it. Well, well, a couple of things. One, um, I loved All Quiet on the Western Front. I thought that movie was an absolute masterpiece. Edward Berger, who directed it, was not nominated for director. Uh, you know, there's no way of knowing, but I think a lot of people think that Ruben Oslin, who directed Triangle of Sadness, kind of took his spot. I mean, he was completely deserving as well. I think if Edward Berger had been nominated for director, and then the movie would have had 10 noms, not nine. I think, I mean, I think it's going to win a fair amount of Oscars on Sunday. We'll get to that. Um, I loved it. I thought, I've never seen the original, which also won Best Picture or did win Best Picture in like 1932, but that's, I believe, like the most famous book like ever written in Germany because of what it's about, obviously. I thought the movie was absolutely stunning. Um, the Top Gun stuff, yeah. I mean, look, there's a obviously the, the favorite going in, again, excuse the pun, the favorite, the favorite for Sunday is Everything Everywhere right now, which I still believe will win. But one thing you have to remember is that the Academy has a for Best Picture has a preferential voting system. And I'm always trying to remind myself what that means. But my understanding of it, and you guys can correct me, is this. See, 
because there's 10 nominees, they did not want whoever got the most votes to win Best Picture because that meant a movie could get like 20% of the votes and win Best Picture. They didn't think that that would make sense. So instead, they have these like threshold numbers. And basically what they do is they first count every the most the movie that gets the most ballots at number one. And then if that doesn't hit a certain number, then they go to all the other ballots and they figure so they count all the ballots and you have the ballot, you know, let's say everything everywhere is number one on a certain amount of ballots. Once it's not number one, they go to the next batch of ballots and they count the next number one. So there's a lot of belief. I talked to an executive yesterday who was like, no, Top Gun's going to win because at the end of the day, everything everywhere could get like a lot of ones, a lot of twos, a lot of threes. But if Top Gun got like the majority of the twos and enough of the ones, you know what I mean? So they're obviously, you know, if you're number 10 or nine, you're, you're not going to compete. I think Top Gun definitely has a chance. I think that stuff does matter. But my tricky thing with Top Gun, which I loved, who couldn't love it, is just that it's not really a best picture winner, like at its core, you know, I mean, it's a great movie, but, you know, it doesn't quite have the weightiness of what a lot of best pictures typically have. And I think that's, what's going to hurt it in the end. Um, you know, I thought there was a lot of people, Tom Cruise was kind of on the in, outside looking in for best actor nomination. The director was nominated at the DGAs. He didn't get the Oscar nomination. It did not get as many nominations as I think people thought it would. I think what's also tricky is like, the two big technical categories that everyone assumed it would dominate were editing and visual effects. And I, I'll go through some of these now, Chad, because I feel like we're not going to do all the awards. Like visual effects is going to be Avatar, partially because the Top Gun crew has very kind of bragged that like they weren't visual effects. We were all, we were up there in those planes. Whereas you watch Avatar and you're like, are these visual effects or did James Cameron reinvent the wheel again, right? I mean, it's, it's a whole nother level. And then with editing... Eddie Hamilton edited Top Gun. He does all the Chris McQuarrie movies. He does Mission Impossible. He's a genius. But Everything Everywhere, the whole movie's editing. And the editing Oscar often connects. It used to more than, less so in the 2000s and the 2010s. I'll give you some data if you want it. Um, but usually in the past, the best editing also went to best picture because there was a correlation of if it's the best movie of the year, it's the best edited film of the year. What's happened a lot in the last 25 years or so is they have given movies that were um, more, uh, you know, just sort of like the editing really stood out uh, as opposed to um, it being part of the best picture. So, for instance, I'll give you a little data. Right. So in the 90s, six of the best pictures also won best editing. In the 2000s, six of the best pictures also won best editing. In the 2010s, only one best picture also won best editing. So it's not quite the, the precursor it used to be. With that said, this is what I'll say. If Top Gun wins best editing early in the night, I'm still not convinced it's winning best picture. If Everything Everywhere wins best editing, it is 100% winning best picture. Pay attention. Right to now, that. Everything Everywhere is minus 700 to win best picture. After that, it's uh, Banshees at about, I think, minus uh, 1100 to win plus. best picture. I mean plus 1100, sorry, to to win best picture. Best director are the Daniels uh that you mentioned uh Lasker minus 1800 to win and then Spielberg with the unwatchable Fablemans at plus 8. <laughs> You're going to get me blacklisted from Hollywood just being just just being around this talk. <laughs> I know, right? Look, I watched I tried it for 52 minutes. Who's I like why wouldn't I love the Fableman Spielberg is a god to 
every Jewish family of the past 40 years, you know, because of Schindler's List and then what he does with Shoah and all that kind of stuff. Like, who's not rooting for the guy? 52 minutes. I looked at it when I turned it off. It was Judd Hirsch, who I also love, telling the kid we're artists and like everything was on the nose. Every scene that could have been 10 seconds was 10 minutes. It was just too self-indulgent for me, but whatever. Well, there's, I'm oh, sorry, continue. No, no, no that, that, that's a stat. Well, what's that's interesting about, about Sunday night, you have two legends that are trying to win their third main Oscar for what they do. I mean, Spielberg has more than three Oscars or he has because of like producing and stuff, but he's only won director twice. Kate Blanchett has only won two acting Oscars, supporting actress 2004 for Aviator, lead actress 2013 for Blue Jasmine. They both could get their third on Sunday night. That's really hard to do. Meryl Streep won in 79 for Kramer vs. Kramer, 82 for Sophie's Choice. Does not win again until 2011 for The Iron Lady. Nicholson, 75 for Cuckoo's Nest, 83 Terms of Endearment. Doesn't win again until 97 for as good as it gets. It is hard to win a third Oscar. I'll give you one more stat. Granted, he's canceled. Woody Allen wins original screenplay, 77 for Annie Hall, 86 for Hannah and Her Sisters wins the third one in 2011 for Midnight in Paris. And he was nominated a lot in between, despite all the scandals. So I know I'm jumping ahead, but I think why Michelle Yao, in my mind, has been surging for a while is that like, you know, I don't know that Michelle Yao, you know, I hope she's nominated again in the rest of her career. Cate Blanchett is like LeBron. Like every time she makes a movie, she can be nominated. Every time, you know, you get the correlation. Yeah. So and Spielberg is 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 interesting because he's right there in the middle. He has not won Best Director since '98 for Saving Private Ryan. He's been nominated five or six times since, or maybe four times. Um, uh, he's like 76 years old, and so I think initially you'd think, well, you got to give him the Oscar again because he's he's getting older. But then you're like, but he's not slowing down. You know what I mean? He seems like he's in great health. I hope he is. I love him like everybody. Um, but I, so I sort of wondered as the Academy think, well, it's Steven Spielberg. He'll be back. I mean, Clint is 93 and still making movies and some movies that have contended, you know, in the last 10 years. So, you know, look, I'm not ruling Spielberg out. One thing also to point out to your listeners, which I think is important, is that what's interesting, like with what you guys do when you're obviously like handicapping the Super Bowl and, and, and other games is that you guys are seeing the direct teams play week in week out and you're able to like you're using the same metric for the most part granted they're not you're not seeing a super bowl matchup ahead of time but we have to remember about all these guild awards that everything everywhere is winning they're all comprised of different groups of people a hundred thousand people in sag over a hundred thousand people voted for sag awards right there's only 9900 academy members uh, the DGA, I think, has 18,000 people in it. And it's, you know, unit production managers, location managers, assistant directors. The Golden Globes, we don't have to spend a minute on them. Nobody who's ever voted for an Oscar is part of the Golden Globes. So what you have to remember for Sunday is that this is its own specific body that only portions of make up all these other guilds. And so there is no correct, you, you really can never say like, oh, because Austin Butler won the BAFTA, he's going to win. Like, no, like there might be 500 people that vote for the BAFTAs that are in the Oscars. So my point about Spielberg is that with the DGA is, yeah, he didn't win, but that's happened many times where the DGA winner doesn't go on to win Best Director. And the thing about Daniels, and I'm rooting hard for them. I know them, they're clients, they're wonderful guys. I'm so happy for them, um, is that they can win. They're in three categories. They're nominated as producers for the movie, directors, and original screenplay. So you know, one thing that could happen on Sunday is there could be a split. And I'm going to give you some more 
data because I, I haven't I've, I've got my my data for you, which is to simply say, as far as like best picture, best director split. Okay, in the '90s there was only one split. In the 2000s, there were three splits. In the 2010s, there were five years it split. And now in this decade, we've had two Oscars. It's already split once. So 50-50. So you're seeing more and more that movies are dominating less. Because one thing I was thinking about in preparing for this is, you know, we're, we're basically out of the era of the historical sweeping drama that like wins seven Oscars, nine Oscars. The last major, the last movie that won like more than five Oscars that won Best Picture uh, or more than six Oscars was Slumdog Millionaire. It won eight Oscars in 2008. Um, and before that, Return of the King won 11 Oscars in 2003. But before that, you had lots of years where like Schindler's List won seven, Dance of the Wolves won seven, Titanic won 11, you know, English Patient won nine. In the 2010s, you really didn't see that. You saw movies that were smaller win three Oscars, four Oscars, five Oscars, three Oscars again, stuff like that. So it's still anybody's game. Like everything everywhere could actually win six or seven Oscars because people thought it was always winning supporting actor for Kiwi Kwan, but Michelle Yao might win. And now all of a sudden people think Jamie Lee Curtis is going to win. So it could win three of the acting Oscars. So if you pick up those three, and if you do pick up picture director screenplay and you pick up editing, well, now you've won seven. So that's why this race is so great because there's so many trends bucking in so many different ways. And again, my point is no one knows because <laughs> this, this body has not been proper. It, it's impossible to analyze them ahead of time. That's why it's fun. That's also what makes <clears throat> Spielberg so interesting as like a little taste on a long shot, right? Simon, think about yeah. if you're betting futures, Everything Lasker just said, who knows? Like the Academy might give the guys who produced and directed everything everywhere, best picture and best screenplay. And if they split the vote on director, all of a sudden that gets to Spielberg. Isn't that when we'd want to play Spielberg at plus 850? <laughs> was that like last year or two years ago that we made that crazy bet on this show? I think it was an Anthony Hopkins movie that was like, out of nowhere, this movie came out of nowhere. And it was one of those where it was, I think I think it was twenty to one on our show, and by the time the Oscars came around, it was all the way down to two to one. Um, so those are the kind of things I'm always looking for. Um, obviously, I'm waiting to hear him give us some crazy long shots here, but that's wild that they already have the directors of everything, everywhere, all at once at minus um, eighteen to one. That's that's crazy, Chad. At this point, yeah, it's insane. Well, and, and and Simon, I think what you have to do, like. I I, I can prove it somewhere. I have an email. I correctly predicted Anthony Hopkins would win for the fall. Oh, yeah. And no, I'm me, giving you the credit. You nailed it. Well, well, <laughs> well no, but, but I'm, the reason I'm bringing it up is that you have to go a level, uh, not that you're not, you have to go a level deeper and think, first of all, you have to watch everything, right? And I watched both of those movies and no disrespect to Chadwick Boseman, RIP. It's horrible that he died so young. But when you watch that movie, he's really a supporting player in the movie. And when you watch The Father, you're like, oh, this is like a Shakespearean one-man show. And it just sort of hit me like if you like I always try to put my I'm not in the academy. I hope I am one day, but I always try to put myself in the head of you have to think that they, everybody's watching the movies. I know there's a lot of people who are naysayers and they say people aren't. I don't agree with that. I think by and large, my friends that are in the academy, my clients, my colleagues, like they take it seriously. They try to watch everything. And if you had watched those two movies I think you would have thought, well, am I only giving it to Chadwick because he unfortunately passed away? That's not really a reason to give somebody an Academy Award. 
And so I think that's where you always have to go that level deeper. Like with Angela Bassett and Jamie Lee Curtis this year, look, I adore Angela Bassett. She's a genius. She's unbelievable in What's Love Got to Do With It, which she was nominated for in 93. You know, Black Panther 2 was very good. It was not the first movie for lots of reasons. And I think at the end of the day, it's not, that's not a role people typically win an Oscar for. And a lot of people, I think, were feeling like, well, it's kind of the career achievement. But it's the same thing with Jamie Lee Curtis. She's another person who's been around for a long time, grew up in the business. She's amazing in the movie. And I do think, you know, you have to get into that mindset of just literally like a little bit of what's the story behind the win and like what do people, you know, feel about the movie. So that's why I feel like this race is interesting. I mean, we're going to get there. The best actor race is the trickiest race this year, 100%. Like that well, could go three different ways. I want to I, I want to save that one. Cause the, yeah, I'm I, sorry. I'm, I'm, I, I apologize. I feel like I'm hijacking. No, 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 no. Listen, this is a free-flowing conversation, sometimes with mature subject matter, okay? The NBA season is heating up, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel America's number one sports book because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and three strain. Tonight, my favorite NBA bet is Charlotte against the streaking New York Knickerbockers. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash favorites. That's fanduel.com slash favorites to learn more. And if you're in Massachusetts, get ready because FanDuel is coming soon. Make sure you check out fanduel.com slash mass and take advantage of their great pre-live offers. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. KSGamblingHelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text Hope NY in New York. Tennessee red line is 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Best picture, I think it's hard to tell anybody not to bet everything everywhere or just to skip it because everything everywhere has such a huge lead in terms of the odds, minus 700. Like I said, Banshees of Inishirin, plus 1100. I thought Banshees was brilliant of the movies that I saw this year, Banshees that are that are nominated, Banshees, All Quiet, Top Gun, Tar, like I loved all of those. Banshees to me just felt like asking such a powerful question like what is the point of everything? Is it to leave the legacy? no matter the cost or is it live the best life, happiest life 
in that moment that you can, and who cares if you're remembered? It's an existential question. I think we all ask it every single day. Um, I didn't love everything everywhere. So like, I know it's going to win. Didn't love it. Too much for me. <laughs> you're not the only person I've talked to, not to age you over the age of 50, who's felt that way. You know, <laughs> one, thing, one thing with Banshees, this is my point earlier about the streaming, and I'm going to make a crazy connection to something and I need to throw out every caveat. Uh, okay. There's an incredible Oscar book that just came out. This thing, this book called the Oscar Wars by Michael Schulman. A lot of podcasts are talking about it. I started reading it. It's excellent. And he traces like 11 of the most famous like Oscar races ever. Whatever you want to say about Harvey Weinstein. And he obviously deserves to rot in jail for the rest of his life. Like the Harvey Weinstein era like, had he been running the race of Banshees, and it's not to knock, you know, Fox, you know, who's behind it, like, it also connects to the fact that, you know, we're not, most people are watching things at home. And that's my point earlier that, like, in the in the olden times, which is like five years ago, if Banshees had just, like, played for five straight months, and there was a Harvey-esque person behind it, not him, forget about him, but keeping the, the issue, because, you know, I watched the movie, I really liked it, and I was like, but wait, did I understand it? And then I started reading about it and under, and started to understand the metaphors about the Irish Civil War. And like you said, wanting to be remembered, wanting to do something with your life. And there are people in the past, I think, that have they have ways of keeping the themes of a movie talked about longer and longer and longer. And I don't think that always happened with Banshees in this in this race, because it's an excellent movie. People obviously love Martin McDonough. Um so that's one thing we'll never know because the streaming era, like we can't put that genie back in the bottle. And I think, unfortunately, the Tars of the world, I love Tar. Those movies are going to probably be more streaming, you know, you know, immediately. And it's a bummer because, you know, Chad, you're probably the oldest here. I'm the second oldest. But you and I remember enough and maybe you do too, Simon. We're like these these, you know, so-called indie adult films. They play for like five months, yeah. you know, like all of a sudden, again, not to reference Harvey, but like. You know, they famously did a really good job on the movie Philomena, uh, the Judy Dench film with Steve Coogan, where she played the nun who had to give up her kid. It was a true story. They kept that story about what happened to those nuns. They kept that in the in the media for so long. That movie quietly made tons of money, you know, and I still have to believe that's possible, especially with something like Everything Everywhere. I hope it's possible. But the studios, this is, again, another tangent. They're going to have to have some faith and say, you know what, we're not going to send Tar to streaming after three weeks. We're going to let Tar just be in the theaters for four months and see what happens. Because I still think adults, they're still craving that type of material. But I, my point is, I think that's what maybe hurt Banshees. Is it? I never felt like it stayed in the conversation quite enough. But I, I could be wrong. I mean, it got nine nominations, and that's the movie, unfortunately, that has the biggest risk of like not winning anything. No, I think you're right. I think it's the streaming is a help and a hindrance, right? I got to see... More movies yeah. that I might not have gotten to see, but there's less conversation because I don't have every single person in my circle saying, oh my God, have you seen X? You got to go see X, right? And it because there's a little bit of an effort, it's a little bit of a surprise, there's a little bit of an experience, different experience when you, you know, pop it on and you're watching it on your couch and it goes away. And by the time you see someone to talk about a movie again, you've forgotten you've seen it. It's just a different yeah. experience. Well, um, and it's like, we're, you know, we're in the social media. I mean, I'm thinking back again to date myself. I was a freshman in college when Goodwill Hunting came out. You know, there were no smartphones. There was no Twitter. 
people talked about Goodwill hunting for four straight months. It's all people could talk about. You know, like it was sold out every night at the Century City 14 in Westwood, which doesn't even exist anymore. Like that's just what would happen with these like great movies, you know. Give us your take. We're going to get to Best Actor because I do think uh, I started recapping. Let's take Best Picture, Best Director off because the odds are so short that they're that they're upside down for everything everywhere. Best Actress, interesting race, relatively even, although... Even if the uh, even though the odds I'm looking at have Kate Blanchett a little bit shorter than Michelle Yao, like, are you? I'm sorry, they have Michelle Yao as as shorter than Kate Blanchett. But um, do you put a do you take a flyer on Kate Blanchett, or do we feel like this one is closed? It's a total toss up. I mean, I think Michelle Yao is going to win, but yeah, I mean, looking at the odds you guys sent over, I mean, it's not like you know. What so Michelle's minus one two five and Kate Blanchett's minus one fifteen? Like yeah. I mean, it's a it's a total toss. I mean, look, Kate Blanchett very likely could win. I talked to an Academy voter yesterday who voted for her. I mean, she's astonishing in Tar. I just feel like Michelle Yao. It's a different type of performance. She has to play fifty versions of herself. It feels like it has the momentum, and I also feel like I don't expect Michelle Yao, unfortunately, to like be at the Oscars next year. And the next time Kate Blanchett like reads the phone book, she'll be nominated for an Oscar. So I'm, I would still go Michelle Yao, but it doesn't look like there's not really a long shot there. It, it's one of those two. They're, the other three actresses, unfortunately, like have no no chance. So it doesn't feel like it's a category you can make money on, really, in a, in a meaningful way. Let me read the nominees for actor. Simon, if you've seen these movies, I'd like your opinion. Brendan Fraser, The Whale, Austin Butler, Elvis, Colin Farrell, Banshees of Inishirin, Paul Mescal, After Sun, I don't know how to say his name, Bill Nye, Living. Um, Simon, have you seen any of these movies? Yeah, and it feels honestly like Brendan Fraser's a lock. He, he's one of those guys where... I think no one in Hollywood has a bad word to say about him, except that guy that tried to ruin his life years ago. So it's one of those moments where he kind of had a raw deal in life. He dealt with a lot of stuff off screen and, you know, the business kind of blacklisted him. Right. And this coming back story, I mean, Chad, I think, you know, just as well as I, America loves to build people up just to tear them down. And I think he's one of the great examples of that, of this guy. He was at the peak, man. I mean, I can't think of a single you know, action movie that didn't have him in there for a while. Like every little thing he did was gold and it was a nice run by him. And then he disappeared and, you know, we didn't know. I think most general fans didn't know what was going on. We're just like, okay, he's spending time with his family. Well, it comes out, he actually had a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. And, you know, he's been making the rounds. I've been listening to a lot of shows and he's been jumping on, doing a lot of podcasts and just getting his, you know, getting his name out there and trying to get the hype around his movie out there even more. And to me, when I saw these odds, I thought he'd be closer to minus 400. I'd be shocked, honestly, if anyone else wanted, just because all the baggage and all of his history, the fact that he's come back and his performance is amazing. Like, he really is amazing in that movie. It's Especially as a guy, it's tough to really make me cry. And that was one of those, just the whole aspect of him, his daughter, it pulls on the strings because it's so realistic. And it's such, it's such from a different viewpoint of a man that's really overweight and he's trapped in this body and he's trapped on this couch. So, you know... I want it to be Tom Cruise because I think Tom Cruise is owed one by the Academy for everything he's done for movies. But 
you'll never get it for an action movie like that. There's not really acting like there is in The Whale, where Brendan Fraser is really taking on this role. So, you know, I, I didn't think, go, go, I say two months ago, I didn't think he'd win it. But now after listening to him all these different shows, just how much everyone loves and respects him, I'm at, I'm honestly interested here with your guys' opinion on this. I just feel like he's a lock for it. So I've actually bet this one. It's one of the few ones I've already bet that's at minus 180. I just think he's the best guy in this category of everything he's overcome, and then he put on such an amazing performance. I just love Brendan Fraser in this spot. Wow, you said that beautifully. I got nothing to add there. Uh, Lasker. I, I I agree. I mean, I think that – um. Look, this is the the trickiest race of the night, and you did it's yeah, it's Bill Nye. So I think you kind of said it correctly. Um, kind of. I think that look again, you have to go to the storyline, right? The storyline of Brendan Fraser, as Simon perfectly put, is the comeback. That movie, he's amazing in the movie. The movie didn't get as much groundswell as it as they wanted to. Didn't get a, a script nomination, so forth. But he is amazing in it, and Hong Chow also got nominated, who's really good in it, which shows you that there is you know some real support for it. Um, Colin Farrell, it's like he's the nomination of this year of everyone kind of saying, we've always loved you, Colin Farrell. And now like you're in the club and like he'll get nominated five times the next 10 years. Like everyone's just sort of like your hand has been stamped and you could now also like read the phone book and you'll get a nomination again. And I did talk to Academy Voter yesterday who said they're voting for him. Um, And then the Butler thing is interesting. He definitely had been like rising the whole the whole way, you know, you know, he was going upward the whole uh this whole run. Um, I think what's hurting him in the end is a couple of things. I actually think him like doing the accent on award shows people were turned off by. But one thing to point out is that typically it's the women in Best Actress who get it like really young for like the first, second or third or fourth movie, like a Jennifer Lawrence. Um, it's not typically the men. If you go back 20, 25 years, the men are all typically over like 40 or 50 getting Best Actor. I also think, and I'm not trying to throw shade on anybody. I love all these people, but like they gave it to Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody. And I think people kind of like now question, like, did he really deserve it for that? You know, cause he was just sort of like impersonating um, Freddie Mercury in all the, all the shows. And I feel like I thought Austin Butler was amazing in Elvis. And I really liked Elvis, but it's kind of the same thing. The movie is so kinetic and so much of it's the performing that there's very few scenes where you're just like, Oh, Austin Butler's just getting, just letting, they're just letting him act. And I think in the end, it's like the the Butler nomination is welcome to the party kid. Now show us the next crate 10 things. There's like an online rumor. Maybe he'll play Val Kilmer's role. If they do the new version of heat based on the new Michael Mann book he wrote that takes place in the future, he's in the new Dune. And at the end of the day, like, I think it's going to be Frazier. Like, I, I think the story is too good. Again, if you watch the five movies, he's kind of undeniable in that, in the makeup. And watching him, it's, it's so sad. I mean, watching him like overeat at the refrigerator, like, I think, I think it'll be Frazier. I mean, it could, but this one is one that like, when they open it up on Sunday night, it could go one of three ways. There'll be no, and you wouldn't be surprised. So I, I would bet Frazier, but I don't know. I mean, it's going to be tough till the, you know, to the final, literally till they tear the envelope open. That movie was so uncomfortable, you know, (laughs) like, and I think it's interesting. You talked about Top Gun earlier and sort of the commercial success and can it win a best picture or something like that? And I feel like people don't give away enough weight to, I think, emotional resonance 
in movies and they think about the technical, they think about a performance, they think about does it have dramatic weight, emotional weight, but like, I just mean, how does it make you fucking feel? Like, I saw Top Gun in the theater twice. I haven't done that since Top, came, Top Gun came out like 40 years ago. Like that, it just was an amazing movie experience. You should get more credit for that. As a yeah, I, I think you're right. I'll, I'll give you a different metric on Top Gun that uh, I'll see you're seeing it two times in the theater. What I when I knew it was special, I saw it in the theater opening day, loved it. I was on a series of planes and I was with my wife and our now 17 month old. So like I couldn't watch anything. I could just try to keep her from not crashing the plane. Yeah. But there would invariably be people in front of me watching Top Gun on their laptops and on the plane. And I would just watch it not hearing right. anything like looking five feet up and, and I could watch the whole thing. And that's when I sort of realized like, this is special. Like you can watch this from 10 feet away, not hearing anything. And you kind of know what's going on and you can, you know, love the visuals. So I, I agree with you. I mean, it, there is no doubt Top Gun's movie of the year. I mean, this was so interesting about Avatar making all the money it made. And I hope James Cameron gets to make whatever he wants. Cause he's a genius, but like, I don't know, like, any adults over the age of 25 who like talked about the movie after they saw it. Apparently it's just like humongous with teenagers on TikTok. And obviously they got the China release and it crushed in China, which can add a lot of money, but Top Gun, that was the movie of the year. That was the movie everybody talked about. It didn't matter if you were Republican, Democrat, old, young, white, black, like just did not matter. Like, yeah. So I, I agree with you. And that's why a lot of people I talked to feel like that's going to win best picture that you're going to see that split at the end and by the way, if it wins, Tom Cruise gets an Oscar. He's one yep. of the four credited producers. And Christopher McQuarrie would get his second Oscar. He won original screenplay, Usual Suspects, 95. David Ellison would get an Oscar. You know, David Ellison came to Hollywood seen as like the rich kid son of Larry Ellison. But Skydance has actually turned into like a humongous company, which has become really successful. And then finally, Jerry Bruckheimer would get an Oscar. So there's a lot of good storylines. I'm <laughs> for know? it. And I, I sort of went on a tangent and lost my point about Brendan Fraser, but he's so good in that movie. Yeah. The way he physically tries to get up, like also to have someone talk about what it's like to be that big. And, you know, you see people like that and you just, you can't help but ask yourself, how the fuck did that happen? And exactly. like, yeah. he brought such humanity to that idea. Um, it was a really great exploration yeah. of grief. And I think, you know, not to get all actory, but he has such expressive eyes. And I feel like there's so much in his eyes in that performance. You know, it just, yeah, I thought, I mean, I know a lot of people who didn't like the movie for all the reasons people would think of, but um, I thought he was like astonishing in it. And, you know, he, by the way, he's been in a lot of Academy Fair. I mean, he was in Gods and Monsters, which won Best After Screenplay 98. He was in Crash, which won Best Picture controversially right. in 2005, controversially because people didn't like it and they think it's the worst Best Picture winner ever. But I mean, yeah, the artist. Him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know that's what's crazy. There's movies that win that are of a moment that like no one's ever talked about ever again, you know? And then there's movies, you know, um, your guys' buddies uh, at The Ringer, you know, they talk a lot about The Social Network as their favorite movie of the 2010s, which I think is a very worthy uh, answer. And that didn't win. That lost to The King's Speech. Have you ever talked about The King's Speech Never. again? But The Social Network, that's like imprinted in people's, you know, consciousness. So well, look, it's Saving Private Ryan and Shakespeare in Love. Yeah. Like Shakespeare in Love, didn't it win Best Picture that year and Saving Private Ryan? 
is the movie that still resonates 25 years later. Yeah, that's the one you know, that I mentioned that new Oscar book. That 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 is what people consider to be the beginning of the Harvey Weinstein onslaught where they were out for blood and they were figuring out ways to compete and not, you know, w- w- what people have said, what's in the book, I haven't gotten there, but I mean, I remember living it, is that they kind of started this whisper, whisper campaign that she, that same Private Ryan was only good for the first 20 minutes. That yes, the first 20 minutes were the greatest 20 minutes ever put on film. The rest of the movie was boring. And that's how they like slowly inch their way in there. So I remember, I mean, it, you know, they they had Harrison Ford present Best Picture that year because they do that sometimes where they try to connect someone yeah. to who they think is going to win. And he obviously made all these movies with Spielberg. And when he reads Shakespeare in Love, you can tell that he's like shocked himself. He's like, what the that's fuck am Oscar I doing here for fun. this? What'd you say? He's like, what the fuck am I doing here for this? Exactly. And by the way, one of my predictions for Sunday uh, I think Tom Cruise will will present Best Picture, despite being in Top Gun. They've they've done it before. They've had Nicholson was nominated for A Few Good Men, presented it to Unforgiven in '92. Nicholson was in The Departed, presented it to The Departed in 2006. Like they've done it, and I mean, uh, when Jimmy Kimmel hosted both times, they had um, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway present, and they've been having a lot of like legends present the last couple of years. They had Liza Minnelli last year. They had Rita Moreno two years ago. I my feeling is it'll be Tom Cruise. I mean, he's going to the ceremony. He's been doing press, and he's like the president of Hollywood right now, despite all the stuff that comes with him. So you know, they they have to find a you know like an ambassador to give out that award. That's what's so funny about Tom Cruise is the public perception is he's a nut job, Scientologist, crazy person. You talk to anyone in Hollywood, I mean, anyone, even John Hamm was talking about it on a show. Listen to a couple days ago. He is the greatest actor you can work with because he's always going hundred percent and he knows everyone's name. He knows the guy who does the tape, you know, tapes the lights up in the background, knows that guy's name and the guy's kids' names. He's just one of those guys. He's very, I just feel like he's the old guard of Hollywood. It's like that old guard that's kind of fading away. We don't really have the, the he's a true superstar. Like, no, he, he is. I, I have these two friends at Paramount, um, uh, this woman, Tamar Tyfeld, and this guy, Brian Pianco. Tamar does digital publicity and, and Brian helps cut the trailers and, or oversees it really. And they were telling me, you know, at the end of every Mission Impossible movie, and I assume it happened on Top Gun, Tom has like a luncheon for all the marketing people, you know, where they have this like three hour luncheon um, where everyone gets their picture taken with him. He, you know, talks to everybody. Like he's really into that. Like it takes 500 people to make a movie and to release a movie and to market a movie. And, you know, I, there were a lot of people who went to Richard Lovett, who's the president of CAA, which represents Tom Cruise forever. They went to him in the, in the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, I saw, I mean, I knew the people that were calling him saying, get Tom Cruise to put this on streaming tomorrow, put it out 4th of July, charge a hundred bucks. You'll laugh all the way to the bank. And, I believe, I can't confirm, I believe, I mean, well, you kind of know now, I mean, definitely Paramount, they all went to Tom and said, let's just do streaming. And he was like, no, this is for the movies. And I remember just as a moviegoer, like, oh man, it's coming out of Christmas. Shit, it's not coming out anymore. Now it's like, just annoyed, you know? Like, I mean, we've been waiting for these Mission Impossible movies for two years now. Those are my favorite movies to watch. So he hung in there, he knew what everybody wanted and he was right. So it's, yeah, this year... People love to bemoan Hollywood. Oh, the movies are getting so bad. It's all about TV. It's been a great year for movies. There's been some amazing films this year. Amazing foreign films, amazing documentaries. 
Um, that's those are good races too. I mean, maybe it's the Navalny doc. Uh, maybe it's the doc about the two people that like go to volcanoes. There's there's a lot of good toss ups. Who is our? It's hard to say because it feels like the top two in each category are pretty locked. But is there a as you look at the landscape? long shot you think can come from longer odds to claim a little gold man this is the problem despite what i was saying that there's only one body which is the academy and no one can predict them because you have all the precursor awards it is very very rare that there's a true surprise like anna paquin winning for the piano or rissa tomei winning for my cousin Vinny, um or like olivia coleman winning best actress in 2018 for the crown over glenn close or not crown uh, for the the favorite Again, excuse the pun. Um, <laughs> no, I think I think the Jamie Lee Curtis surprise has already rooted its head. I mean, if you go into the everything everywhere, like is going to like dominate. I also could see Stephanie uh, Sue. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. She could win because she's really amazing in that movie. Like she's kind of comes in that movie and blows everybody off the screen. Yeah. Um, no, I think actress is 50-50 between Michelle and Kate. Actor we talked about. Supporting actors a lock. I mean, I, I've thought about it. I don't think, like, maybe if if we find out Monday morning there was a massive Banshee surge, then, yeah, watch Brendan Gleeson win, and then you'll know. If Brendan Gleeson wins Supporting Actor at the top of the night, you'll know, oh, Banshees ended up being everyone's like, favorite movie. But how do you turn down the Kihi Kwan? I mean, it's it's too good. I mean, he's short round. He's Data from Goonies. Like, the guy lost his health insurance. Like, he's going to win. He, he needs to win. It's kind of no different... Than the guy who won for Coda last year, you know, uh, Troy Kotzer, who, you know, is deaf. Um, uh, no, I mean, I think, um, no, I, I mean, sadly, I know this helps you guys. Like, I don't think there's like a crazy long shot. We didn't talk about adapted screenplay. Well, That's I, gonna, I, yeah. I, you talk about adapted, but I have a very strong case for why I think someone, a specific movie should win original. So talk about adapted. Well, so adapted, you know, it's going to be either Sarah Pauly for Women Talking or it's going to be All Quiet on the Western Front. Now, Sarah Pauly won the WGA Adapted Award over the weekend, but All Quiet on the Western Front wasn't eligible because it's not the guys who wrote it are not in the guild. Um, I am in this All Quiet on the Western Front surge where I feel like the movie is highly decorated. People love it. It's going to win a lot of technical awards. Um, and I, I, I would vote for that to win. I would love if Sarah Pauly won. I thought that movie was excellent. Um, and she did an incredible job adapting it. She should have been nominated for Best Director. It's going to be one of those two. So again, I don't know if there's like a long shot in there, but it's kind of 50-50. What's your take on original screen? Uh, let me just say real quickly, Women Talking is minus 240 on Best Adapted Screenplay. All Quiet on the Western Front, plus 240. Uh, Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, which was pretty terrible, in my opinion, uh, <laughs> is plus 2300. I just thought it was like, derivative and just not like the first one was so original and this one felt a little bit too much like it was playing to pop culture i think um banshees at plus 100 for best original screenplay everything everywhere i think is minus 150 i could mm -hmm. see banshees winning it because everything everywhere is going to get so much attention Best Supporting Actor, Best Actress, Best uh, Directors, Best Picture. Martin McDonough is so good. And I think he's so beloved amongst the writing community. And this is a brilliant movie. This is a spot where 
you're getting a little bit of value at plus 100. I think. Look, I think that this is a really good bet to take. You know, it will be shocking to me if Banshees comes away with nothing on Sunday and people love Martin McDonough. He was kind of the lock to win original screenplay in 2017 for three billboards and then get out surge and Jordan Peele won, which by the way, I think was the right choice in the end. Cause talk about an original screenplay. Um, this is definitely one where you have to think, because remember the Academy for your listeners, the individual branches nominate each branch, right? So the writers nominate the writing awards, but for the actual Academy awards for the show, every single member votes for everything. So you have cinematographers voting for writing and you have directors voting for writing and vice and so forth. So you could, you could look at it sort of like people are thinking, well, I want to spread the wealth basically. And, and I'm not voting for Banshees and the director and picture. And again, the Daniels are eligible for three of these Oscars. So I think it's a really good bet. I mean, people love that movie. People feel like this guy is like the writer's writer. You know, he's this amazing playwright. Um, it's not, it's not a bad bet to take at all. Simon, look at that. Look at me. Wise guy <laughs> handicapping the Oscars. Now you're locked in. I'm so good at this. <laughs> I should just move to LA and I should work a mosaic. Just hand. Yeah, come on. We've got, we've got an office for you. We have a podcast studio. Um, <laughs> I I think we've gone through everything. Simon, have I yeah, missed anything? Yeah. I mean, you no, want to give some love to our guy, Chris Raybon? What, what did Raybon say? He likes uh, Rihanna to win best song at plus 430. Uh, Lift Me Up. I believe it's the Wakanda Forever, Black Panther. Um, so obviously we need to get a little lucky. Uh, I like his his reasoning for it. Don't bet against Rihanna. So I just wanted to get that in there. Chris Raybon. He likes so Rihanna for the best song. Here, here's what's interesting about song, right? Is that the only song that actually like um, elevated itself to being something people talked about was not to not to from RRR, which is an awesome song. It's a big favorite right now. The, the other, the other songs, they're all excellent, but they're just sort of like, like even the Lady Gaga, when I saw somebody who I really respect, they picked it to win. It's like, nobody even remembers that song at the end of the movie. It was like, cool. They got Lady Gaga to do it. Yeah. But like usually the song, I mean, you know, like Eminem won, you know, for lose yourself for eight mile. That's the best example. Cause like, that's what the movie is about. And it is organically inside the movie. And he was obviously like the hottest thing in the world at that point but like people are like on the rihanna train because of the super bowl she was incredible but like i haven't heard i don't even know if i've i saw the movie i can't even remember what the song was oftentimes the song that wins it's the song that people literally have heard the most because it it you know there was a crescendo created that would be not to not to from rr which a lot of people thought actually had a chance at getting a best picture nomination um so i would still go with not to not to I will say the, the the opening bars of Lift Me Up are pretty freaking powerful. Like I definitely went into a uh, Rihanna wormhole after the Super Bowl and those first couple of dog walks were all Rihanna playlists. And, right. uh, <laughs> and she was, that, that song is unbelievable. Like she comes out all power and glory. So I'm with, I, I could, I like Raybon's tact. But, you know, I got to go with, what am I going to do? Go against Lasker? No. <laughs> By the way, I, I could easily be wrong. I'll be, I'll be making picks all the way till Sunday when I do like a pool inside my home. Uh, Lasker, I think we covered everything. We did it. Guys, we did it. Always a pleasure to be here. I mean, you're not even giving me any Oscar trivia. You're not quizzing me anymore. We're like, we're past all of it. 
We are. We're just into what can you tell us to make us some money? And I think you've done that for us. I think there's some parlay opportunities here, get some better odds. Uh, are you prepared for Oscar trivia? Do you have one Oscar trivia question like we can throw at you and say? Sure, you can always your... try. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm always, you know, I don't All know. Right. I would like to know the nominees. We'll see if you can get it or not. <laughs> okay. We'll see if you can get it or not. The year that Rocky won uh -huh. for all the awards, yeah, Sylvester Stallone wrote the movie. Yeah, who were the nominees for original screenplay that year that he won? Well, I don't. I mean, I'm ashamed. I'm not sure I can give you that. I can give you the Best Picture nominees. Would that suffice? Of '76? Right, Would that do it? Okay. Yeah, because uh, that is one of the most famous years ever. Because yes. the 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 paradox is that. People are happy that Rocky won and they're happy with that years later, but it was up against all these other modern classics. So Rocky won and it was against all the president's men, network, taxi driver, and then bound for glory. Bound for glory is the lesser known of the five movies. Those are the five nominees in 76. So Rocky, all the president's men, network, taxi driver, bound for glory. And I mean, that's just a murderer's row of movies. I mean, if you think about it, you basically have four bona fide classics. I mean, there's forget about Bound for Glory, which is a very good movie, but Taxi Driver Network, All the President's Men and Rocky are still four movies that are talked about every single day. Oh, yeah. In like modern culture. All came the, out the same year. The nominees were Cousin Cuisine, uh, Seven Beauties, Network, and The Front and Rocky. Those are the other four. Got it. Yeah. No. I mean, unfortunately, I could give you I could give you all the screenplays like starting from like 90 going forward. There's only so much room in this noggin. Uh, you know, I, but I, I feel like I failed you. Well, no. Also, you're getting older and like, you know, now you got a kid and it takes up a lot of space. So That's true. Michael Lasker, talent manager, extraordinaire from Mosaic, but also for our purposes, an Oscar savant who has made us smarter about the upcoming Academy Awards, Simon Hunter, my BFF for Matt Mitchell, our favorite producer. This has been the Favorites Podcast from the Volume Podcast Network. Download your podcast from Apple Podcasts, from Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Rate, review, subscribe, leave us five stars, say whatever you want. Feedback is a gift. Until next time, love you. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.